Lovers, this is Killstreak episode 34. I am Eric Goslin, and joining me, as always, from Austin, Texas, currently making his way through the scariest movies that Disney Plus has to offer because he doesn't live the lifestyle of a horror fan. <laughs> Michael Price, how are you, sir? Oh, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> fake news, a lot of fake news, Twitter. Yeah, I have to you say, know, you guys uh, should follow us on Twitter to find out what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. At Killstreak well, Pod. There's an old adage that that says that a lie, one of Eric Goslin's lies, can travel around the world before the truth finishes putting on its pants. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's deep, man. I like that. <laughs> it is. It is fucking deep, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I have been... Uh, I I have not watched as many horror movies as Eric, and that is largely because I have watched all of The Haunting of Hill House from a couple of years ago, mm. which is a horror television series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it just happened to be 10 hours long, so it was like I watched five movies, probably more like seven when you take the average runtime of the stuff we enjoy. That's true. That's true. You you bring up a good point, Mike. Uh, I don't mean to keep disparaging you, but I will keep disparaging you because it is fun for me, and I giggle when I'm on my couch. Yeah. <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> um, hey, I watched. I really briefly. I don't want to go long on this stuff, but mm-hmm. I watched a movie last night called Blood Quantum on Shutter, uh, mm-hmm. and I highly, highly recommend it. It's probably one of my favorite zombie movies I've seen in years. Uh, it's a Canadian. Wow indigenous um zombie movie and it's very okay. very fun it's shot beautifully the gore is great really highly mm-hmm. recommend that to all you kill streakers out there uh and also i saw a movie called blood rage which was a little known slasher movie from the 80s that i had a ton of fun with as well so i watched a couple of good a couple of goodies out there uh those are nice. my shutter wrecks if you have shutter which you should if you listen to this all podcast right. Yeah, if you don't, yeah, to fix that, folks, do a do a little preview. There's no better month to check out Shutter than October. Yeah, and, and oh, sorry, this is John Carpentober no, here at Kill. Yeah, Street. sorry, not October, John Carpentober. I misspoke. Yeah, you misspoke, uh, man. Um, get with the branding. Uh, this is the month we we are uh clearing up some blind spots that we have with the director john carpenter or revisit some that we haven't seen in a while and that the the former is certainly the case with today's episode which is the village of the damned a movie that neither of us Mm -hmm. had seen until we saw it this week yeah yeah that's right um do you know like why why did you why is this one um a blind spot for you because I heard it was bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which this is something I tend to do a lot. I don't think this is a particularly uh, unusual behavior. But when I have directors that I like a lot, and they have movies that are famously uh, 
you know, poorly reviewed, people don't like. I try to just avoid them because even though I'm a bit of a completist, I don't like, uh, you know, it's just like I don't want to lower the esteem of a John Carpenter in my mind. Yeah. Um, like a good example of one of these from the last year, I think it was maybe four or five months ago. It's the first time I ever saw The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. <laughs> sure. Um, the David Fincher. Right. Yeah, because I like David Fincher a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And I just know that movie was supposed to be kind of shitty. And I was like, well, why would I watch it then? Just so that I can feel a little less good about David Fincher. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, you know what? I've never seen it, though. And maybe people are wrong. And sometimes people are wrong, but they were right. Curious Case of Benjamin Button wasn't very good. And yeah. I was like, yep, this is the worst David Fincher movie I've seen. I, I think I'm right along there with you because uh, I'll see a new movie from a director I love if it's in mm-hmm. if it's new and current. Yes, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll make a point to see it. But if it's one that's a few years old and it's just like renowned, like not known to be a good movie, I'll I'll skip it because I I would rather yeah. watch a good movie that I know I'm going to enjoy or suspect yeah. I'll enjoy more than one that I don't think I will. Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah, I don't know about you, but like this podcast is one that has me watching more quote unquote bad movies than I normally would. Mm-hmm. And I th- and I think that from my perspective, like the way I stay optimistic about it is I'm like hoping to discover movies with bad reputations that are actually better than I anticipated, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's definitely the hope going into this a lot of these movies. Right. And in some cases right. that is true, but Mm-hmm. Often cases that is not, which yeah, <laughs> I just say brings me to so, our blood and guts check here. Sure, why don't you start? How did you feel about the 1995 remake of Village of the Damned? Uh so uh, how do I talk about this? It felt very much like a bad adaptation of a Stephen King movie from like like a lesser known <laughs> Stephen King's book or sure. something. Sure. Yeah, it has a very King feel, yeah. It really does. I found it to be, to start pretty strong, but then to be mostly pretty stagnant. And by the end Mm -hmm. of it, I was really ready for it to be over. Yeah. Um, I agree almost completely. I think uh, at the beginning, I was like, well, this is interesting. I'm very curious to see where this goes. Yep. Um, There's... It's one of those things where it leads with a lot of mystery, uh, and that's always a, it's a double-edged, or it's not a double-edged sword, but it's a dangerous thing, right? Because then you have to deliver on that eventually, and unfortunately, this movie, the resolution of all of the mysteries uh, that are set up at the beginning are almost entirely unsatisfactory and yeah. just, like, kind of lame. Um, yeah. It gets pretty repetitive and boring, Towards the end. Yeah. Like, it's a pretty yeah, boring um, movie. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. After the first, like, 20 minutes, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we'll just say, as you guys always know, or if you're regular listeners, we're going to discuss the whole plot. Um, so we'll just spoil some of the big plot elements right now so we can talk about the movie as a whole. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. Warning. Um, watch the movie if you care about spoilers before you listen to this podcast. You should know that already. But, um, yeah, I would say everything from after uh, Chris Reeves' wife kills herself is just, like, the movie's bad after that. Yeah, I um, agree. It, like, it really does have a pretty strong start. I was into it. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought yeah. it was, like, this is, this is um, all super cool and um, mm-hmm. and mysterious. But then, yeah, after that, it's like, okay, we get it. Well, because there's literally like it's there's it's like there's so much you don't understand, and then all of a sudden it's just like okay, now we know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like the like the script makes this very odd choice to like. Sometimes it can be cool to like jump ahead in time and skip over like things that you don't really need in exposition. That's, but it's like this, this like skips over a bunch of reveals and. Things like that, and it's just like okay, it's it's two years later or four years later, and hey, these kids are evil. They have a leader. Uh, they can control people's minds. Yeah, uh, and we're gonna let you know in about ten minutes that they're aliens. And it's like, wait, what? Why? Yeah, <laughs> why are you been, doing it this way? It would have been cooler to see like a slow, slower reveal of some of these things. Yeah, and then like, but yeah, all of a sudden it's like, oh, the town's in shambles. Everybody's terrified. The kids are marching mm-hmm. around two by two with their blonde hair. But like it yeah. would have been cool to see some of these things evolve and then get mm-hmm. to that point. Yeah. But even then, um, from that point I, forward, I don't I, I don't know that there's much. No, new I don't know how comes out. Right. And I think part of the problem is like it's tricky because it's an adaptation of a book, like a movie that was an adaptation of it's a remake of a movie that was an adaptation of a book. So there's obviously source material. But, you know, Carpenter has a he was interviewed about this movie a couple times. And and one of the things um, here's something that he said about the uh, the script that I want to read this line and then I want to talk about it for a second. Mm -hmm. So the original script for this remake was written by a guy named David Himmelston, who Carpenter then came in and rewrote it. And Carpenter says, it's a truly great novel. It's funny, but in all the drafts of the script I read, everybody was trying to go in a different direction from the old picture in the novel. They avoided it being about an alien visitation, strangely. Come on, guys, we've got to tell the story now. It's there. So I went back to the original roots of it. Should be pretty good. What do you think about that? Um... I guess I disagree with him. <laughs> like I, 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 so do I. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone else was onto something, John. Like the yeah. alien thing is fucking lame. Yeah, it's it is. not a very cool reveal. Yeah. It, even even if that is the explanation of why this is, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I just I don't know that we need to spend as much time on it as we eventually do. Right. Yeah, and I think it's just like it's even where they do go with it, like it feels very half baked Mm -hmm. where it's like, it's so I, I, what we're to understand by the end of the movie is they're alien kids. We don't know why they were put on earth, but they like, like like Mara, the leader, she talks about like dominating the human race as if it's something that they just have to do as a matter of course, because of the way the relationship is between them and humans. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, so were you put on earth to take over earth or did this just happen? Cause you're like, Hey, we're just going to impregnate some earth women and see what happens. Yeah. And there's like no real explanation of the motive behind whoever their like quote unquote alien parents are or whatever. It's just like, they just kind of are there and they don't really, they don't really follow through on telling the story. Yeah. Mm. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, what is the aliens' eventual plan? Is it to take over the world? 
Because if that is the case, why wouldn't they have a much a much larger scale invasion <laughs> and not just like small towns and like Anchorage and or in Alaska and Australia? Right. Maybe this is just them yeah. starting to experiment to see if they could even do it. I don't know, but it's like right, but it's it's a real long con. <laughs> it is, and it's also just like it's not. They're not like if this is supposed to be some kind of like sneaky recon thing, it's not working. Like the federal government is here. They know there's they know. alien kids. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, like the worst kept secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just like a lot of things don't add up. I think that, and I do think that in, in like criticizing this movie more than anything else, I think that the script bears the most responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it is ably directed by Carpenter, mm-hmm. um, it, except in the way that it doesn't make any fucking sense, but it's like, it looks good. There are scenes that build tension. Uh, the score is fine. The acting is pretty decent across the board, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's just like the movie doesn't make any fucking sense and it's kind of boring. Yeah. Know? It's kind of, it's just, it's a slog. Yeah, absolutely. It really, truly is. <laughs> Are um, you guys fucking pumped? <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about the making of this movie. You said ninety five was when the when this came out. Yeah, so this is a ninety five remake of a nineteen sixty film, which I don't know how well regarded it is, but it was certainly a movie that I had heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a classic British kind of horror sci fi. And I think that the original plot is pretty similar. Um, Yeah, like all the big notes are there. Um, And it's both of them are adaptations of a a book called The Midwitch Cuckoos. Yes, which is a funny (laughs) ass title. (laughs) Yeah, quite a name, which I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's better um, than this movie. Maybe it's worth reading. Yeah, but I mean, also, like, let's talk about that for a second. The title is a real bait and switch, I yeah. feel like. Yeah, it's, um, it's, that makes you think of demons and shit. Exactly, and that had me more excited. Yeah. Like, the idea that these kids were going to be, like, some sort of demon spawn, I don't know, for me, I was just like, yeah, I'd rather have that. Um, yeah, me too. But... Yeah, I, I mean, here's some things, like, valuable things to understand about this movie. This is not a John Carpenter passion project by any stretch. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that in various interviews he has referred to as a contractual obligation. <laughs> um, so he had his pick of things to make uh, to fulfill his contract with Universal. Um and this is what he chose. But, like, again, it's not very encouraging because to go back to that interview, some of the, like, if you listen to his reasoning behind why he chose to make this movie, he says things like, it's an obvious choice. It's a pretty easy movie to make. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is always a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> but the director's yeah. like, this will be easy. <laughs> and then he also says things like, um, I knew exactly where to shoot it. I live there, Inverness, California, in Point Reyes, where we shot the fog. I have a house up there. It's paradise. You can stand anywhere, put the camera down and shoot, and you've got it. I get to shoot at home for a change. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, I, I yeah. will say, he's not wrong. The setting, the town is like, that looks great. Fucking yeah. great. 
Um, yeah. And I wondered if it was the same town as the fog, and that does confirm it because mm-hmm. it's a very similar set. I mean, it's, obviously, it is yeah. the same setting. Mm-hmm. But yes, in a lot of ways, uh, and like so, for instance, you know, he—I don't know if you caught this in the credits, but the the score he worked on with Dave Davies from the Kinks. Oh, really? I didn't um, see that. Yeah, who is a friend of his, uh, and he actually helped at a, for a time raise his son. Daniel Davies, who is now part of the John Carpenter live touring band. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, but it's like, so it's a family friends kind of thing. And so it's like this whole thing. I'm kind of like, I'm I'm reading all this. I'm watching the movie. And I'm like, is this John Carpenter's grownups? Is this just him <laughs> making him the laziest movie he can to like, you know, get himself paid and not have to leave his hometown? That's really what it seems uh, like. It's just like, ah, yeah, it's a paycheck. I get to be at home at night. <laughs> Right, yeah, which I totally get, but also, like, there's not a ton of heart in this. No, and Um, there could be, you know, there could be. Getting a few changes, I don't understand why he couldn't get himself passionate about it, because the bones are there. Yeah, I mean, like we said, especially the first, like, third of the movie, as, like, the sort of plot of what's happening is unfolding, it's interesting. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. You want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, just like uh, getting the ball in the end zone, no dice does not it does yeah. not happen. Um, big cast. Uh, this is it was a a fairly affordable movie to shoot, but the budget got a little bit bigger just because of uh the names in there. So it's like it's funny because they'd all be uh. <laughs> It's not a list of actors that you'd you'd go, oh my god, they got Kirstie Alley. But in 1995... (laughs) She's a big um, deal. Yeah, Kirstie Alley's a pretty big deal. Uh, This is a little bit past her peak in terms of popularity. Uh, Also, she's trending on Twitter this weekend because she's a Trump supporter. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, oh, this is perfect timing for our movie. (laughs) For our episode. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody loves a Trump-supporting Scientologist who uh, is also really big into, uh, you know, scam diet culture. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) She's she's really... The bingo card is... Triple threat. filling up fast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But so we got Kirstie Alley, uh, Linda Kozlowski uh, from the... Most people know from the Crocodile Dundee movies, Mm -hmm. married to Paul Hogan for almost... uh, For more than 15 years, I think. Uh, Mark Hamill himself... Uh, who is sort of maligned in a lot of reviews as being miscast? I kind of liked him. I, I kind of liked he was him good too. Yeah, I didn't. I don't yeah. understand what they're talking about. Yeah, because um, definitely, like later in his career, post Star Wars, uh, Hamill, like most famous, really for voice acting. Yeah, uh, I think most notably, like on the Batman animated series, but then also like he's continued that work in a ton of Batman animated films and stuff. He's essentially like the Joker emeritus you know mm-hmm. for until he's he wants to stop doing it more or less uh as a voice actor because he's great um and this role kind of had some similar energy for me as like a little bit crazy and unhinged and i i actually really liked him yeah i did too um michael perret sexy b-movie star uh i'm sorry i, I, heard, I heard what you i misheard what you said michael perret oh um, oh oh yeah, another one of the actors, uh, cast members, Eddie and the Cruisers. Have you seen the Philadelphia Experiment? That's a great. No, I never have actually. Movie. Yeah, you should check that out. I think you'd like it. It's not quite Halloween. You might have to wait. 
you know, until okay. post I'll wait till after, so I'm not yeah. infringing on any uh, contractual yeah. obligations I have. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to end up like me. Yeah, um, a total fraud. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, saving the best for last, uh, you know, the headliner, Christopher Reeve, in his last uh, film appearance before he was paralyzed mm. in a horse riding accident in, in, this, in the year that this movie came out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm sure people felt this way at the time, but I mean, even now, uh, 25 years on, like, it made me very sad because he's good. I like him. Yeah. Um, he's watch. He's watchable. Yeah. Um, there's a sense of gravitas that he brings. That's like, Mm -hmm. you want to listen to him. Like he's a, yeah, he's well cast as a doctor in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and he's like he's like the rare kind of big hunky guy who can act, mm-hmm. who like really, and and is like in, in inherently likable. Um, now, obviously, like he was able to continue his acting career post accident, but obviously pretty limited in the roles that he played, and then um, you know complications from that injury uh, led to his very unfortunate early death at fifty two. Jesus. Um, yeah, but so for young Killstreak listeners who aren't super familiar with this, this is this is Superman. This is our generation Superman mm-hmm. and the Richard Donner film, uh, all the way through all the bad sequels. I mean, two is pretty good, but um, you know, mm-hmm. mixed opinions on which Superman movies are good. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, this was. I mean, this was such huge news at the time, and I was a kid, right? Like, I was oh maybe yeah, this 12, it was twelve shocking. years old when it happened. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's headline news because Christopher Reeve is a huge star. I mean, again, he's fucking Superman. So um, I'm glad like I'm glad I got to see him in this. Uh, I like I liked him a lot. Um, and I, I did. I had an early like I'll just get this out of the way now. I had an early note about very bad hair. And then I, I read a little bit more and realized that he he dealt with like a condition, um, like a form of alopecia. Oh, that really? would cause his his hair to sometimes fall out in clumps. So, oh. like, he, in a lot of movies, was just able to cover it by, like, you know, growing it long and combing it around and stuff. But, like, later on, especially, um, you know, he a variety of hair pieces in some of his roles. And I think that... I didn't bother to go confirm it because I watched the movie and I'm like, it's definitely... Uh, yeah, you know, it looks unnatural. Some sort of hair piece. Yes, yeah. it's very unnatural. Uh, arguably as unnatural as the hair on the kids, which oh is my real. God. That um, shit is yeah. bad. <laughs> like especially when like when they're babies and like little toddlers. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, get that Paris Hilton yeah. wig off that girl. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. But uh yeah. Um Dave Davies I mentioned, I thought that was a cool piece of trivia. Um and other than that, I mean, you know, this is just like a Carpenter Studio gig, and it's it is what it is. It and, is uh, what it is. It's a good way of putting it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I have to add. Well, guys, let's take a quick break, and then uh, we're going to come back, talk about the movie, and then please stay tuned to our final segment because we got something special yeah, cooked up for you. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, we'll be right back. All right, we got some really beautiful shots of the Northern California coast. What town did you say this was again? Uh, Inverness and Point Reyes. Oh, it's really not. I mean, 
once all this bullshit's over, I got to spend some time up there. It's, I love it. Yeah, what's what's the drive for you? Like six, seven hours to get there? Probably, yeah. I mean, if it's north of north of San Francisco, it'd be like six, seven hours. Yeah. Um, so we get some creepy whispering, some like helicopter shots over the water. It spooks some elk. <laughs> I think they're elk. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> they look like they're fucking from another country, but I guess they're elk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then like a, a mysterious black mist or shadow floats over a house and we we uh cut inside that house it's christopher reeve he's playing dr alan chaffee he's in bed with his wife barbara um he gets out to investigate because he hears something he's wearing tight white uh, tidy whities yeah <laughs> every time i see that my dad wore back then <laughs> yeah every time i see like an old movie with a guy wearing tidy whities like oh, i should get some of those <laughs> but then I'm like, I don't look like Christopher Reeve. I'm not like six yeah, foot five yeah. and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, slender as he's fuck. still ch- he's still chiseled at this point. You know? Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking a lot about his body, as I do with most male bodies <laughs> when I see them. He's like, he's slender. He's like a tall, skinny guy. Like he's he would be too skinny, mm-hmm. I think, to play like a superhero nowadays. Uh, yeah. But he looks great. It's just like it's just yeah. like. You can tell he's strong. He probably played uh, football or something in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I bet he like barely worked out, too. Probably like went for jogs. <laughs> yeah, I do some sit-ups and push-ups, uh, and I go for a jog. You know, he's an actor. They all work out like maniacs. Yeah. You know, except for uh, the character actors. So then uh, we get a town sign. It's Midwich. We're in Midwich. Population 2000, elevation 33. It's a real cute town. Um, there's another house. I was confused by who this was. Uh, is this Frank and Jill in bed? It, yeah, it's, it's Michael. We were talking about Michael Perret. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Linda Kozlowski. Yes. So this is the McGowan's Frank and Jill McGowan. Yeah. They're married, married couple. Yeah. Uh, then they're in a truck going to a town event. She gets after him from smoking. He's like, well, I'll quit smoking when you decide to get pregnant. Okay. Um, she's the principal. It's revealed. Jill, her name. Mm-hmm. I said that, but yeah. I was figuring yeah. that out in real time as I was watching it. <laughs> nice, nice. That's what we do. Some uh, autumn carnival is going on. We we see Mark Hamill as the Reverend, glad handing with everybody in town. Really cute. Some nice seasonal seasonal feeling to this too. Yeah. yeah. Even though I didn't grow up in this in on the West Coast, it did get, made, made me have little pangs of uh, homesickness. I always miss New England this time mm-hmm. of year. It's the best sure. time of year to be there. Um, Barbara's showing off. Barbara, uh, Christopher Reed's wife, showing off how a house, a new house to a new couple. It's idyllic. Um, <laughs> and then at, back at the carnival. Mark Hamill, the reverend, tells Jill, like, oh, we don't we need finger paints. So she goes to her classroom. There's some old coot named Carlton getting loaded in there. <laughs> yeah, Carlton, famous film drunk. Uh, so he shows up in a couple Carpenter movies, but I know him best as uh, the town wino from the Back to the Future series. Oh, is that um, where he's from? Okay. Yeah, what's his name? It's Bert or something like that. I forgot to look this up. Uh, his name, well, the actor's name is Buck Flower. George Buck Flower, which is a great That's name. A great name. Um, 
Yeah, he's only listed on IMDb as bum in Back to the Future. <laughs> but I but I know he has a name that Marty refers to him by at one at, at one point. That, but yeah, this guy also has a pretty not sizable but a decent role in and they live. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and he shows up in a, I think at least one other Carpenter movie. There's a couple Carpenter regulars, him and then also Peter Jason, who we talked about last episode. Uh, who plays Ben? Um, mm-hmm. like Wait, who do we talk about? Regular. In regard, what, what did he play last episode? So he is the guy who takes Snake off the helicopter and walks him in oh, and is like talking okay. to him about okay. what's going on. And you were like, you weren't sure if it, if that was him or Stacy Keach, and it was yeah. Okay, so. he looks fucking awesome. <laughs> I love his hair and his beard. Like, yes, man, yeah, it looks so sweet. I hope I look um, like that when I'm fifty-five. <laughs> So suddenly, uh, there's a weird noise right at 10 a.m. You see on the clock, and then Jill faints. A bird. There's like a little canary in a um, in a, a bird cage. The bird mm-hmm. passes out, and then we cut outside. Everybody is passed out all around yeah. town. It looks fucking cool. It does, and also that bird I think is a cuckoo. And I think that's where the title oh. of the original novel comes from. There you go. Oh. Sorry. Sorry, bird lovers. Ornithologists. <laughs> I messed up. That's a bird lover, yeah. right? Or, or is that a snake? <laughs> Ornithologist. Ornithologist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. There's like dogs and stuff that are passed out. Uh, so the Frank's... Oh, I, I should say Frank like went to go pick up like a, a thing of helium. So Frank is out there in his mm. truck. Uh, he's not in this whole pat mass pass out. Right. Um, but he's on his way back and he sees there's cows in the pasture that are passed out. And then he almost hits a truck that's stopped in the middle of the road, swerves out of its way, starts losing control. And then he passes out, crashes into another truck. His truck explodes. Body counts up to one already. Mm hmm. Uh, then we cut to the sheriffs are there. They're painting a white line on the road. And if you cross that white line, that's when you pass out, which I thought is a really, yeah. really cool idea. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, the only thing I don't like about it is the lines in the wrong place. We find out. Soon, it's a little bit further. Which is, yeah, it's like, hey, come on, guys. You can get you can get closer. With that line. <laughs> um, and then Kirstie Alley is there. She's playing Dr. Susan Verner. And uh, I. She's like a fed doctor. I'm not really sure what her official title is. She's like a, a scientist. She's for, an epidemiologist. An epidemiologist. Yeah. That's right. Um, I did write that down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. She is. I'm just going to go. I, I mean, I'll go off my note here, which is Kirstie Alley in this role is tough to take seriously. She is. Um, yeah. I don't think she's cast particularly well. I think she's fine, but she has... She has a lane, like a Kirstie Alley lane that works, and this is outside of it. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, Christopher Reeve, uh, Dr. Alan Chaffee, uh, he mm. also was out of town. He comes back and sees us all hullabaloo. Um, one of the deputies puts on a gas mask and walks over the line. He's attached to a rope. They're holding the rope. And he passes him. He passes out after he gets, like, you know, a few yards in. Right. They drag him out. Um, Chaffee's like, what is it? Some kind of chemical? And Vernon's like, no, it can't be. The edges are too defined. Um, so mm-hmm. there's like a big like force field around the town. 
Then suddenly the cows wake up and everybody starts to wake up, uh, including Jill and the bird in the classroom. And we see a shot of the clock. Six hours have passed. Um, I wrote that Carlton looks a lot like like an old version of Mike Mitchell <laughs> um, from the Doughboys in <laughs> okay. love. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh oh then oh shit i forgot about this there's we cut to a shot of the old guy running the grill passed out on the fucking grill and he's just like a charred skeleton yes. mess it's which gross. i thought they were gonna do more of this and this is some of the stuff that does feel you mentioned king it feels feels very king yeah like, um yeah, it reminds me of a bunch of stuff like the stand a little bit. It has a maximum overdrive kind of feel of just like, you know, something vaguely apocalyptic happens and there's just dead people in like an idyllic small town. Yeah. You know? Or like I was reminded a lot of Under the Dome. Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And there's like, um, I mean, that book's almost a thousand pages. And I'd say like 50 of those pages are just the the carnage caused by when the dome appears like people just get people getting half chopped in half yeah yeah which is what that reminded yeah. me of yeah um i before we get back into the plot i want to address two things really quickly um because i've been doing a little bit of digging while you're talking you you were right i think that that bird was a canary hmm. there's another reason why it's called the midwich cuckoos which actually almost informs the plot a little bit in a way that would have been nice to have this information in the movie itself. So apparently cuckoos, a lot of them are referred to as brood parasites, which are birds that lay their eggs in the nests of other birds. Oh. Um, and uh, there are some species that only do this. So apparently the Eurasian cuckoo, this is the only way it reproduces. And the cuckoo eggs hatch sooner than the host eggs, and the cuckoo chicks grow up faster so most of the time, those cuckoo cuckoos will end up, uh, in essence, evicting either the eggs or the young hatchlings of the other species, like oftentimes killing them. So, oh, shit. I mean, that's um, awesome. Like, and it's completely yeah. informs the plot and they don't touch on it at all. Yeah. Isn't that crazy that we got none of that? Wow. Um, it should have been a cuckoo. Yeah. There should have been like a Absolutely. quick scene at school where, mm -hmm. you know, like Jill's explaining that to her students or something. I don't know. Yeah. This could also just be some uh, dialogue that Christie Alley delivers at some point to just like contextualize what's happening. Totally. It's not that hard. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, um, and the other thing, which was a note of mine that we that I just totally missed when we were talking about it. But way back uh, a number of scenes earlier before the blackout. We did. We had a John Carpenter director cameo at the gas station, which I want. I was. Oh, really? Out. Yeah. So he's like the scene starts on a fucking long hair, long gray haired hippie with a baseball cap and sunglasses on making a payphone call. And that's him. Uh, di didn't even have to check IMDb. I was like, that's John Carpenter. Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, so body trivia. counts now up to two with that grilled guy. Um. Uh, Chaffee is reunited with his wife. Um, and, oh, yeah. We we didn't mention her, but Meredith Salinger. Salinger? Is that her? Yeah. Plays yes. Melanie. Yeah, that's the actress name. Mm -hmm. um, she had passed out while she was filling the bathtub, and the bathtub is, like, overflowed. Uh, mm -hmm. So she gets up, and she sees something pass by her window, and it's a man in a hazmat suit. And we cut outside. The whole town is swarming with army and people in hazmat suits. 
mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. is cool. I always love that stuff in like a small town movie. Or, like I said, it feels like Stephen King, like the stand yeah. or something like where a town's being like invaded by mm-hmm. the army. Right. The mist. Yeah. Um, M- Meredith Salinger too. I was, I'm not super familiar with her. Uh, I, other than I know she's married to Patton Oswald now. Fox and a half. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, she is yeah. a fox. I did not know she was. Uh, oh, well, good. Good. Yeah, after all. after good his girl. wife yeah. uh, Michelle McNamara yeah. passed away, um, he right. remarried her like three years later or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's disgusting, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm happy for them. <laughs> uh, and then uh, as all this is happening, Jill sees Frank's burned out truck getting towed away so she knows mm, that he is yeah he is gone yeah and then we we cut to a funeral for all the people who have died everyone i thought there. so i thought this was specifically uh his funeral i could be wrong no i think there are multiple um, coffins not multiple caskets and um it's it's just kind of like a met like for everybody who's okay because i was very confused because it's just like we basically just have four main cast members standing in front of a casket. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's you know it's it's Christopher Reeve, it's his wife, it's Linda Kozlowski, and then uh, who's Ben's wife, Callie, right? Mm-hmm. Callie, and it's yeah. just like, and I was like, who's in this casket? That it's like, I, it's like this. Just these four people are standing in, directly in front of it, yeah. and then the rest of the funeral, everyone's seated like at a normal funeral. And I'm like, so what, is Christopher Reeve his brother or what's the deal? And right. it's just like, this feels a little bit like a movie thing where it's like, yeah, this is the best shot, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it was the whole, like, you know, everybody who died during the event. Um, but it doesn't really do a very good job communicating that. Um, yeah, or maybe you're just, maybe you're doing too much work for the movie. Maybe, maybe. Um, okay, so that two things okay so this is the problem with this fucking movie i, I wrote <laughs> i wrote that like you know because as i'm watching this in real time i've never seen this so i t- mm-hmm. I keep track of things that happen and be like oh maybe that'll come back um sure. so in this case i have two notes in a row which is dr susan verner um she like kirsty alley's there and she just like looks impatient and rude and she's like checking her watch through the funeral mm-hmm. it's like okay well maybe they're setting up to her her to be some like you know, government shill who's just like a total right. B. But no, she's actually mm-hmm. a fine person, and like that doesn't really come mm-hmm. up. And then um, G- there's we see Jill. Oh, you know what this is? This is this actually does make sense. Jill is going to ke- uh, check the mail, and then she pauses for a long time, lost in thought. But really, she's having morning sickness. We learn she's like gets right. nauseous. Right. Um. Yeah, and then Christopher Reeve and, and Kirstie Alley are walking away from the funeral together. They're talking about Charles Fort, who wrote a lot about unexplained events like raining frogs mm-hmm. and, yeah. and whatnot. And, the origin um, of the Fortean times, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you ever read that when you were younger? I never did, no. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a British magazine that's just about this kind of stuff. It's like about weird phenomenon, phenomena, and that and kind I, of stuff. I'm mostly so. aware of it from the movie Magnolia because they talk. That's like a big oh, inspiration for obviously, yeah. obviously it rains frogs in that movie. 
Spoiler, oh, if you've yeah. never seen Magnolia, it's 20 years old now <laughs> at this point. I've actually been meaning to rewatch that for some I loved it I, when I it came it out. I saw it a couple of years ago. It's good. It's just too long. Um, yeah. And it's like, it doesn't justify its length, I think. That makes sense. Uh, it's, a, it's a classic movie that, that's just like, hey, you know, if there was a two-hour cut of this, it would probably be amazing. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, but, I should re- uh, I mean, when am I ever going to have three hours now? Uh, so he, to her, to him, she says, I suggest you read Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes. When you've eliminated the possible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Uh, Jill is at school. She gets another wave of nausea. And then we're in Dr. Chaffee's office with Callie, Ben's wife. She's pregnant, but she refuses to believe it because her husband, Ben, has been away for like a year now. We learn. Yeah. Um, then at church, we're at church. The reverend's like cleaning up or doing some churchy things. And Melanie's in there. She's crying. Um, and you know he asks her what's going on. And it's heavily implied that she's also pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then we have a welcome home party for Ben. He's uh, We've talked a little bit about him. He's in this intense old man with a beard. He looks fucking great. If I could look like him, yeah. I will never look like yeah. him. My hair is not that thick. It's so jealous of this man. Yeah, P- Peter da- Peter Jason playing just an absolute silver fox yeah. in this movie. Yeah, uh, finally some eye candy in this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's been away in Japan for a year. <laughs> I thought he was Callie's father. <laughs> That's my first. Thing I, I mean, I was like, it must be you know, he's much it's older. Not totally than she unreasonable. Is. Yeah, he is definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wrote. Uh, he's Callie's father. They're estranged, apparently. Wait, they're husband and wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, this scene is crazy. Uh, the the party scene. Yeah, this whole scene is insane. Are you? Yeah, it's I don't. Up. I don't have finish, anything finish. more on it. If if you have some some. Thoughts. Oh yeah, please. This for whatever reason, this one scene in this film I just found to be absolutely insane for a number of ways, or a number of reasons. So like, uh, who is the character? I think it's 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 Linda Kozlowski's character. I'm bad. I'm bad with character names. I'm all about actors. Jill. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Jill gets a new camera. Is that right? Oh yeah, she um, does. From uh, someone gives her a camera at Ben's going away or Ben's welcome home party, but it's like wrapped in a box, and I don't remember why. Yeah. She's receiving a gift. It's very um, confusing. It makes no fucking sense. And so she uses the camera with this nice new camera, which is like one of the old ass cameras they make you buy for like photography 101. Yeah, yeah. Um, But like she's looking through the zoom lens and watching all this stuff unfold. So we watch this scene take place through like the lens of a camera. Uh, which somehow also miraculously amplifies sound because she's like 30 <laughs> feet away, but she can hear this whole, and some woman at the party comes up to Ben and says, Hey Ben, did you ever think you'd be, uh, coming home to a pregnant wife after being gone for a year? <laughs> which is just like, <laughs> that's an insane thing to say. Yeah, what a horrible, shitty, insensitive, crazy thing to say. <laughs> he understandably angrily gets up and walks away. 
It's just, yeah. and that's the scene. And I'm like, wow, this was fucking weird. It's so much stranger than most of the movie around it. Yeah. It is weird. Um, and I'm glad you pointed it out. Cause there was details that I missed. Cause it's so early on in the movie and Callie yeah. and Callie and Jill look very similar. Like uh-huh. there's, yeah. they're like, I had a hard time telling the two apart at first. Um, well, and at the beginning of the movie, Michael Pere also looks a lot like Christopher Reeve. He does. You have yeah, all yeah, these yeah. couples where it's like, wait, these two blonde women look alike. These two brunette dudes look alike. Everybody's in bed together. Yeah. Like, what is going on? It's like, who's yeah. relationships or wait, who's who? Like, I, I had a really hard time mm-hmm. telling people apart at the very beginning. Yeah. Well, and this is what happens when your whole fucking cast is white people. Yeah, it really, I mean, truly. Oh, man, what was it? Uh, oh, I can't say. It's just the show I'm working on. Forget it. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's... Uh, a lot of the same looking kind of a lot of skinny skinny uh blonde girls on the show I'm working on uh-huh, and it's sure. a little hard to tell them apart uh, <laughs> anyway yeah so barbara then uh another scene barbara tells christopher reeve that she's pregnant and he's not exactly pumped about it um <laughs> then he visits jill she's pregnant too there's a lot mm-hmm. of pregnancies. I mean, a lot, much more than would be normally expected. So something's right. going on. He tells her that all the pregnancies came from the day of the blackout. So he's kind mm-hmm. of been figuring this out behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, there's a town meeting. I love a good angry town hall meeting. Man, <laughs> it's just reminds me of the Simpsons. Really made made so yeah. I mean, it or it really the Simpsons did it first, and then Parks and Rec made it like a piece of the blueprint of its show yeah. which worked really well but yes it's and obviously yeah just like insane townspeople being unreasonable and shouting is uh yeah yeah feels so it's always, familiar so it's great uh and then like you know people are like figuring out because everybody's fucking pregnant this is all because mm-hmm. of that blackout isn't it why don't you just come out and say it they're all gonna be deformed <laughs> like people are freaking out <laughs> Uh, Christopher Reeve takes the floor. That's not true. There's no reason to believe that. The tests haven't revealed one abnormality. And then Kirstie Alley takes the floor, and she her offers. Her hair is insane. This is insane, right? No, her hair is insane. Or her hair is, is insane. Yeah, um, just want to throw that out there. Yeah. She offers for all of you who decide to keep the baby. Um, we'll pay you three thousand dollars a month in an allowance. Like her, or yeah, the, or, as long the, as you let us do tests on them, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but only if they agree to let the kids be examined on a regular basis. Uh, there's one guy. He's like, uh, "Is that three thousand dollars per family? Because my wife and daughter are both pregnant." <laughs> um, and he, when he finds out it's per per baby, he comes so close to literally rubbing his yeah. hands together and they're like, all right. That's 6,000 bucks a month. It's nothing to sneeze at, especially no, in uh, 1995 not. money. Um, yeah, you can live off that for, for the rest of your life. And then, uh, and if they don't, if they decide they don't want it, they'll even bring in abortion doctors to get rid of it, mm-hmm. which I thought was yeah. Free abortions, free abortions for everybody. Uh, Callie tells Jill, that she uh, she doesn't want to tell Ben because it couldn't possibly be his, and of course we know that he he's already pissed off about this idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's oh, okay. So 
not to jump ahead, but the next scene is the grocery store, right? Um, is that coming? Potentially, yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I yeah. wrote anything down for that one. Okay. So if you have, there's some... just like a scene. Yeah, no, there's a scene where it's like mostly just like kind of filling in the blanks, where it's like a shot at the grocery store, and there's all these women walking around, and they're all pregnant. Yeah. Right. And so we have this town hall. We've got uh, Doctor Chafee talking about how there's a lot of pregnancies, a lot, way more than expected. And at this point in the movie, I'm like, yeah, what? So what are we talking about? Like, like a hundred, two hundred babies. Uh, right. Like, I don't know what, where were you at? Like, I feel like they build it up. Like it's going to be this insane amount of pregnancies. And then, uh, yeah, I I felt, I mean, they convert the entire giant barn into one big birthing center. Yeah. It's 10. It's It's only 10. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Cause only, only, yeah. Only nine of the kids are born. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It's not the whole town. It's crazy. Yeah. Huh? I didn't even really think about that. Yeah, it should be like dozens and dozens. Right. It's a town hall meeting where really it should be a meeting with 10 couples. Oh, maybe I mean maybe all those people decided not to go forward with the pregnancy. No, there's a line where where Christielli explicitly says they all decided to go ahead with their pregnancies. Uh oh yeah, you know, I just that's one of my next notes. Um <laughs> Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, you great point. Great point. Um, Jill hears weird. All right. So the, uh, Jill is sleeping. She has a weird dream where she's pregnant and there's blue smoke all around her. Barbara's having the same dream. Um, yeah. So then we're at the midwitch clinic where Kirstie Alley sort of based herself out of, uh, she's straight up smoking in the hallway, which is jarring. <laughs> um, 95. Yeah. She explains all the couples are keeping the babies. Um, and then some time passes, the women get more and more pregnant. There's a Lamaze class. That guy's there with his wife and daughter. <laughs> I don't know why I got such <laughs> a kick out of that. He's always, but he's always with his wife, which I guess, I don't know. I don't know. What's the protocol there? If your wife and daughter are pregnant at the same time and your daughter doesn't have a significant. Yeah. He's, I feel like I'd split, I'd split my time, but he's always, always with, with his, his wife. wife. Yeah. yeah. He's a devoted husband. Yeah. Not a great father yeah. though. Um, yeah. They've converted a big barn into a birthing center and, uh, Everyone there is in labor at the same time. Melanie is in some is in a lot of pain. She screams for help and has to go to the ICU. Uh, Barbara and Alan have theirs. Uh, I think it's a girl for for yeah. Barbara, I mean Alan is Doctor Chubb. Yeah, it's a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maya. They end up naming her. The rest of the babies Mara. are all born at the same time. Mara, sorry, Mara. Mm-hmm. Um, Melanie. You know, they have to, like, manipulate her stomach to get the baby out. But, unfortunately, the baby is stillborn. And Kirstie Alley wraps it in a blanket and walks out of the facility and hides it in a van. <laughs> Body count up to four. That's not, what, that's not what they taught me in med school. <laughs> Wait, did I miss a body? Uh, um... Yeah, oh, uh, you know man. I think I'm added a, I added a body. Well, body counts up to three. Uh, Reverend like George that. confronts um, Kirstie Alley about taking the baby because he saw. And she's like, well, I took it for an autopsy. I didn't want the other mothers to see it. Um, and then we follow her. She, like, goes and hides it in a room in the in her, like, in the Midwich Clinic. Mm-hmm. It's baptism time at the church. The babies now, are they're older. They're all blonde as fuck. 
or maybe their hair is covered in this scene, but one baby. So the camera's like dollying across mm-hmm. the whole, you know, church. And one baby just fucking spikes the camera the entire time. <laughs> just <laughs> looking straight down the lens as it rolls by. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, in the doctor's office, they're looking at the hair of the children under a microscope. And it has a weird texture and it's softer than normal. The nails are narrower than normal. And they did a DNA test and they all have a common genetic characteristic. Like almost they're one hundred percent that bitch, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a Lizzo reference, everybody. Sorry. <laughs> uh, they all have the same a common genetic characteristic, like their siblings. Uh, then we see like Jill's baby, David. He's spelling his name in blocks. He can already read, and he's like eight months old. <laughs> yeah. All the babies are blonde as hell. Dr. Chaffee and uh, Barbara's daughter, Mara, throws her soup onto the ground because she burns her mouth or something. And Barbara's like, sweetie, was the soup too hot? Uh, The real bad wig on this baby. (laughs) Um, She looks like one of the golden girls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Her eyes glow green and she hypnotizes Barbara and makes her hand dip her hand in the boiling soup. Like her uh, whole arm goes up to the elbow. Yeah. her it's it, She's screaming. Uh, luckily, Jill's there with David. David, she pulls Barbara's hand from the soup, but she keeps trying to stick it in there. Uh, and I, I made a note. Mara and David, even though they're, they're like the bored at the same time, they look like they're like a year apart. Yeah, I had the same note. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Somebody fucked up on baby casting. Um, in the hospital, Mara makes Barbara stay silent about what happened. She's still like hypnotizing her. And then back at home, Barbara's go like looking out the window, and then she goes to the edge of the cliff that they live on, and then she steps off, kills herself. Body counts up to yeah. four. Uh, mm-hmm. Alan runs out there screaming, and we see like Mara like superimposed on the screen. We know she did that. He used a crazy anamorphic lens for this shot. Uh, it looks pretty cool until they bring the big, goofy, superimposed Mara. Yeah, in. yeah. Uh, but it's like it's like the the lens is warped, and it's uh, you know you're kind of getting almost like a fisheye effect, but it's the whole landscape, and it looked really spooky. And I was like, oh, cool. And then, <laughs> like. It looks like a fucking uh, like a prom picture where they like <laughs> yeah, superimpose yeah, yeah. one smaller yeah, image into it's a like a laser one. background. You have like yeah. a profile <laughs> shot and then like yeah, yeah. totally. Well, which now that I think about it, that's also kind of what the like the weird dream sequences look like too. <laughs> All the yeah. women are pregnant. Yeah. So yeah, like like real theatrical stage lighting, like yeah. blue gels. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Kirstie Alley is in like a meeting with her, I guess the feds. I'm not really sure what organization yeah. she works for. It's a, so have, it's a dark room full of, it's a dark smoke filled room. Yeah. Sneaky. It's very military X-Files-y. government agents. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I understand there's some recent developments at Midwich. Yes. The children are beginning to interact more with the general community. There have been a few casualties, uh, accidents and suicides. Um, 
they know they know at this point that Mara is kind of the leader of the kids, mm. and um, so some time passes. The town's a fucking wreck. This is what we were talking about before, where it's like these things right. start to happen, and then we have, there's a big time jump. Let's say I don't know ten, uh, maybe not ten years. I mean, like five, five to six, seven, five years. or six years. Yeah, yeah, at least. Um, the kids are all at school and are all super blonde and dressed in gray, and they walk two by two. Um, they see Kirstie Alley at the clinic. And Mara is like, you're trying to hide your thoughts from us so they can they can see in people's minds. They can read their thoughts, um, but not not the it's funny. They can't they can like see in visuals, I think, but not in words like the process of right. spoken words. They don't understand, but they can see mm-hmm. the images you're thinking of. Yeah. Uh, so then there's an eye exam for one of the girls. This is a real weird it's a weird like I don't why an eye exam. They're like all at the eye doctor to get checked out. Um, well, because their eyes are weird. I guess so. Is that what is that what it is? Like they're just like examining I, their eyes. I mean, I think it's just lazy. It's just like an excuse to do weird eye, eye stuff. stuff. Yeah. Okay. And also have like a threatening kid scene at the same time. So the eye doctor's looking at at one of the girl's eyes, and her irises start going nuts in like that. Hypno, hypno, like hypnotic way, mm-hmm. and then the doctor is so distracted that she accidentally puts acid in her eyes. Like, why is there yeah, acid in a dropper? <laughs> she, oh no! I have three tiny droppers, the exact same size. Two of them have eye liquid, and the yeah. other one is acid. Yeah, what is this thing in the eye doctors that you could accidentally grab? <laughs> fucking crazy oh man i kept meaning to move that oh Oh, no i was polishing my figurines with this (laughs) um so she puts acid in her in the eye and she screams a little girl screams and all the kids like they're they snap to attention and then her eyes start glowing red um and the the door swings open and Mara's standing there with her glowing red eyes, and they make the doctor pour the stuff in her own eyes. Um, then the kids are all lined up the, in a row outside the clinic. Mara has, or it's not Mara, whatever. The girl who had the acid in her eyes has an eye patch on now, and the doctor has permanent corneal scarring. Okay, so eye stuff is always kind of disturbing. But I don't uh-huh. think this is disturbing enough. Like, they should have made her gouge her eyes out or something like that. Yeah. Or at least we should see something happen to her eyes. It's literally it's just lame. like... Yeah, you do an eye drop and then act like you're in pain. And it's like, eh, this is... Yeah. Yeah, this like, is not jam a thing. scalpel or something. I mean, I know mm. eye doctors don't have scalpels, but something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, an eye yeah, for an we'll eye. There. Um so the reverend's talking to Kirstie Alley. He knows that it's the children doing all this. But yeah, I mean, we, we know that at this point. Everybody knows that. Right. It's one of these things where it's like, this is kind of what we were talking about, where the movie still, for whatever reason, feels like it has to like advance or discuss like how things are getting worse mm-hmm. with the kids. But it's like, how things are already fucked. It's like, there's, they don't do the, the buildup doesn't take the right amount of time and it's not smooth. It's like this huge jump. Where now yeah. it's like, yeah, they're terrifying. They walk around two by two. They dress like psychos. Their eyes glow. 
Like anybody who's paying attention knows that they've been like killing people. It's like, why are we? Why, how is this where we're at halfway through the movie? I, you know, <laughs> there is a way that this time jump works, but I think it's it works better if it's even more fucked up than it already is. Like we're still mm-hmm. kind of like we've advanced. It is fucked up. They're like the town is afraid of these kids, but like I don't know for to make the time jump really work. It'd have to be like even more fucked up. Like they're publicly executing yeah. adults in the town square or something like that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's also just that it's like, if you think about it, it's like, think about pacing mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, at the beginning of the movie, before the blackout happens, we're at 0% craziness, right? And then by the end, I guess we're at 100%. Even though they never really go on like a rampage or anything. No, not really. Um, like in like all the carnage that happens at the end is is like yeah. not really instigated by them. Right. So I would almost argue that it's like by the end of the movie, by the climax, we're at like 80% craziness. And so the movie, it like starts at zero and then it ramps up at a good rate. Like, you know, by the time we're like a fifth of the way through the movie, it's like 20% crazy. And then what happens is... Right around the one third mark, it jumps from like twenty to seventy, and yeah. then the rest of the movie for an hour we slowly advance from like seventy yeah. percent to eighty yeah, percent. Right. And it's just the pacing's all fucked up, you know. It really is. Um, so Jill asks Alan, Doctor Chaffee, aka Christopher Reeve, um, if Superman. he could be their teacher now because they just can't be in regular classes with their with the, the normal students. Um, and he's like, well, what, why bother? What difference am I going to do? Like, what am I going to teach them? And she's like, humanity. (laughs) Um, she tries to get David, her son to learn empathy. That's kind of becomes like her big thing is to try to get them to understand that they're hurting people and what that feels like. Um, wow. I can hear my son screaming. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Is he one of them? Uh, the kids are all marching through town. David breaks off and he goes towards the cemetery and Melinda is there. Um, and she's kind of just drinking against a grave, I guess the grave of her stillborn child. Um, and David sees her and she says that she's going to, okay. So David implants the idea that she's going to kill herself, right? I see. I thought he was seeing was he it. In seeing her mind. it. Yeah, I, I was unclear yeah. um, about the like. Is he telling her to, or I think he's just seeing yeah. that she's going to. I think he's seeing it, but it, you you're not in the wrong here. It is unclear, and it's the movie's fault. Uh, yeah, it's really not. All we know is he sees an image. We see an image of her committing suicide. Yeah, uh, and based on the way. David's plot line goes to the rest of the movie. My assumption was he's looking yeah, into right. her head and seeing. You're right. You know, yeah. it was so early on that yeah, I think that's partly my confusion was I didn't know that David is like the sensitive one. Um, right. So then we we just cut to Melanie's funeral. She's dead now. Body count five. Um. And the Reverend starts talking about how all the kids have one mind and no spirit. Mm. They look like yeah. they have the look of a man, but not the nature of mankind. I have a question just about that last scene. 
Am I remembering something from later in the movie? Or does David also talk to her briefly? Is this the first time we find out that he is supposed to be, like, her stillborn child was supposed to be his, like, partner? I think that comes later. I think it comes when he's talking to um, uh, Christopher Reeve in the cemetery. Got Oh, right, because he does go back to the cemetery. Okay. Yeah. I knew it was in a cemetery. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, because the next thing I wrote, David's back in the cemetery. Alan asks him, Alan asks him what's up, and he's looking for the baby who died that was supposed to be his partner. Um, mm. And Alan's there visiting Barbara's grave, and he holds Alan's hand, so he is the more empathetic of the uh, the cuckoos. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that convinces Alan that's like, I think I can teach them, and he tells her about like what David did out there. So they they could make some progress with these kids. Um, so then Alan teaches them. Uh, there's a whole thing about like how eyes are the gateway to the soul. Um, and then he's called the way to the principal's office and leaves them there. Uh, and yeah. Com- and this scene, it's like, it's a little content. It's like extra contentious with him and Mara. Yes. Mara and is, is they're... like throwing her dick around a little bit. Right, and they're really establishing her as, like, not only the leader, but she's just a shithead. Yeah. Like, she just kind of sucks. Yeah. Um. So while he's gone, Carlton, the janitor, comes in. He's like, I know your game. I know what you're up to. Ever since you got here, I've been watching. And he, he threatens them. And uh, he pulls out a broom, and he accidentally hits one of the boys in the face with it. Then everybody stands. And he's like, well, ain't you going to do something? Ain't you going to ball like all the other piss ants? We'll do something. <laughs> and uh, their eyes all start glowing. And they back him up out of the room. And backwards up a ladder. He like climbs a ladder backwards. Mm-hmm. Then he puts the broom to his chest. And then jumps from the roof of the school. Through a car win- a truck window. Impaling himself on the broom. And crashing through the windshield. Body count's now up to six. Yeah, um, it's something I wanted to something that kind of caught me. I'm not saying this is necessarily the wrong way to do things, but normally there's like a progression of these things in a movie like this where it's slowly being revealed to us like that these kids are evil, right? Or they're bad. And it's like you would usually have this happen first where it's like the guy who's outright hostile to them. Yeah. And is like hits a kid with a fucking broom. It's like, OK, they kill that guy. It feels yeah. like a retaliation, right? And also, like, same with the eye doctor. But the with the eye doctor, like, it was a mistake, right? Right. So, really, it should be, like, the janitor dies first. The eye doctor dies second. Mara making her mother commit suicide for hot soup? Like, yeah. that feels, like, later in the progression of yeah, how you're bad right, these right. kids are. Yeah, you know? that's a great point. There's The escalation is all, is all wrong. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. right. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent. So, yeah, Alan's in his house looking at pictures of his dead wife and Mara comes in. She's like, there are going to be changes now. Um, So then he's in Susan's office. There's a lot of. okay. so this is like my problem. My big problem with this movie is a lot of this Mm -hmm. is just like stagnant scenes of people sitting down in an office talking to each other. Then it cuts to another scene of people just sitting down in an office talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And there's not much yep. a- and anything the, happening. 
and, and it's that. And then for every two of those, we have a scene of the kids in encountering someone who 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 does something to upset them in some way. Yeah. Their eyes flash. They kill themselves. Can like rinse repeat. That's the whole movie. Yeah. Like I said, after after the mom commits suicide, the movie stops doing anything interesting, and it just like repeats this cycle until the end. Yep, exactly. Um, so he's in Kirstie Alley's office. Um, they're talking about how it's some sort of genetic mutation, uh, and it's happened before in remote areas. The same things happened. Everybody passed out. Excuse me. Everybody passed out. They all had mass births. Um. And she suggests that maybe it's xenogenesis, implantation. Something is using the women like hosts. And she brings them to the basement. And it's that stillborn baby. It's in a tube and it straight up looks like an alien. So I don't know if that baby always looked like an alien. Because if that is the case, did all all the babies look like aliens when they were born? I, they wouldn't have. I don't know. Maybe like when it dies, it like goes back to its true form. I don't know. Or maybe that's why it was stillborn is because it didn't like because it like oh, was maybe. the wrong kind. But again, they don't tell us. There's no explanation. Um, yeah, it it feels like a hole. It feels like something that was that was supposed to mean something and then ultimately didn't. So she's been keeping this secret from the children by hiding it in her mind. She'll basically just like picture something else when they're trying to read her mind and they can't get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wants his help. He goes home. Mara has a suitcase and she says, we've made our decision. Discussion will not change our plans. And they're going to go live. All the kids are going to live in the abandoned barn. The adults will give them supplies. And she knows that he's been talking to Kirstie Alley. Uh, The parents drop the kids off at the barn like a sleepover. (laughs) Jill tells David he doesn't have to go, that he's different from the rest of them. It really is funny. It's like, I I wrote down that it's like the beginning of the Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All... <laughs> it's like one car after the other comes and drops a kid off the barn. Uh, yeah. So then the cycle continues. You know, this time it's Ben. He's in his truck looking for his daughter Julie. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like speeding along the road, and one of the girls steps in front of the. I guess it's, maybe it's Julie. Steps in front of no, his. That's another truck. one. Yeah. And he says, like, I'm bringing yeah. her home. Uh, yeah, and this time he doesn't even do anything to them. He's just coming to try to get his daughter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they make him fucking drive his truck and ramp it into a gas tank. A big, like, propane yeah. tank in the middle of a field. It's a fun, yeah, it's a fun effect. The explosion they clearly did with the miniature. Uh-huh. Uh, if you still have it rented, you should watch it again. It's really funny. Because uh, it, like, is a real explosion. But it's like it's like a toy car flying into a miniature gas tank, and then a, and then a big explosion. That it probably in reality was like six feet high. Oh, so. that's awesome! Well, I love miniatures. You know. uh, body mm-hmm. counts up to seven. Alan's getting into his car, and Susan runs up to him, frantic. Um, she tells that all the other towns with the blackout children have all been destroyed. The adults and the children, like everybody's gone. Um, and she's been told to. Pack it up and get out of the town. Okay. He goes into the barn classroom. That's where he's now teaching them. And he asks Mara, why do you hate us, Mara? And she explains, it isn't hate. It's a biological obligation. We have to survive at all costs. All costs. 
and asked he asked her why they just can't live together he's like if if we coexist we shall dominate you eventually you will try to eliminate us um and then he was like have some compassion you should feel without compassion you're a doomed species um and she tells him that he knows in some basic sense who and what they are um so should he be allowed to live does that did that make any sense what i just said i feel like i just wrote a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> it like, made about uh, as much sense as, as the movie does movie, yeah, yeah so, it's just like this is supposed to be like their big philosophical showdown right but it's just kind of like again this is this is what we were complaining about at the beginning of the podcast it just doesn't cohere it's not there isn't a really clear motive for these kids for whoever put them there in the first place it's just kind of like uh, we're enemies. We need to be enemies because that's how the movie works. Yes. Uh, so he blocks her thoughts by thinking about the ocean. Um, and then she says, all right, we're going to go form a new colony and you're going to help. And we're leaving tonight. Uh, so David's staring into space. Mara comes up behind him. You're thinking of the one who died. Your development of emotions is disturbing. Uh, this is very Borg-like. They're like the Borg from mm -hmm. Star Trek. Yeah. Um, and then we see that the Reverend, Mark Hamill, has them in his scope. He has a rifle on them. And he's about to squeeze the trigger. He turns around and the other kids are there. And they make him shoot himself. Uh, body count's up to eight. The townsfolk now have torches. Straight up angry townsfolk with torches. <laughs> right. Um, Being Susan, led by the Reverend's wife, who's kind of like... Which is, again, and like here they make her out to be kind of like a raving religious lunatic, which but feels right. unnecessary to me. Yeah. yeah. They don't have to make her like a, like a religious loony. She could just be leading a legitimate mob who's like, these kids are evil and they keep killing us. We have to kill them. Like, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, so the kids like step in front of this angry mob and their eyes glow. They make the mob stop in their tracks. Meanwhile... Kirstie Alley is in her clinic uh, and the kids, some of the kids surprise her there. They lead her downstairs into the basement where that alien is, the alien baby. Um, and David's there. He looks at his would-be partner, um, you know, the one who was stillborn. And then, yeah, the reverend's wife, who's leading the charge outside, drops her torch and lights on fire body counts up to nine we see her body later it's gross it's like very similar to the the opening like with a guy burned on the grill mm -hmm. and then in the clinic the kids make susan lie on the table kirstie alley and unzip her blouse she takes a, scal a scalpel and cuts herself open uh body counts up to 10 it's it's kind of lame yeah, it looking seems unnecessary it looks bad and it's also sort of unnecessarily torturous based on what we're supposed to understand about all this stuff is it's like they want us to they like most of the time they want us to think of Mara and the kids as being like cold clinical. Um, they're dominating the human race, but this is just like, but also we engage in like sick, torturous revenge. Yeah. Like it just doesn't track. Um, so then at the barn, Alan's loading some explosives into his car in like a suitcase or like a briefcase and he meets Jill at the school. The state police uh, are going to be storming the barn 
and she wants to stop him, but he talks her out of it, and uh, uh, she tells uh, whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> She's like, "What are you gonna do?" Um, the only thing I, we can do. He locks her in her classroom because he's gonna go bomb the kids. Basically, that's his plan. He's gonna mm-hmm. block their yeah. thoughts. And he's gonna go bomb, blow, blow them up with with some. She's gonna go get some TNT and blow them up. Yep. Yeah. The police arrive at the barn. Uh, it's a pretty cool scene, actually. The kids make like one of they like possess one of the the cops and make him shoot another one with a shotgun. Body counts up to eleven. Then he starts shooting at all these other cops who are coming in. Uh, there's a cool shot as one of the cops, cop cars, runs over a dead body, plows into some other cars, and explodes. Yeah. Um, he kills another cop. At this point, I stopped keeping track of the <laughs> bodies because it's like fucking frantically. Because uh, people are getting shot. He gets shot. He whirls around, shoots another guy. Then he gets killed. A helicopter crashes. We have at least 15 bodies, maybe more. I'll, I'll pull it for you. You keep talking. I'll, oh, I'll is get, there a I'll body count? Actual body count. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, then, the co- then the army arrives, and they're just fucking shooting everybody. Um, then Alan loads a bunch of TNT into his briefcase with a timer, brings it into the barn, and he tells David, he's like, hey, I forgot my notebook outside. Uh, you should go get it. Did you, did you count the stillborn baby as a body? I did. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Because um, all I will say is that this very reputable YouTube video of Village of the Damn Death Count has us at, uh, it looks like it has us at eight when this eight. scene starts. Or seven. Seven and then the cops roll in. Um, huh. Yeah. We'll, we'll go well, back I and d- check on it later. But I disagree but, with uh, the count. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we'll re- perhaps we'll review it at the break and then, uh, sure, we'll check sure. in with people at the end. Yeah. So, uh, he, Dave, he wants to send David to get his notebook, but Mara sees through this and, but she can't read his mind. He's, he's just picturing a brick wall. Um, Jill arrives, she grabs Dave, she like sneaks up and takes David. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like a back and forth of like, you know, they stop her and then they turn their attention back to, um, Christopher Reeve, they're all concentrating with all their energy to read his mind. He, unfortunately for Christopher Reeve, he has to do a lot of like grimace acting mm-hmm. where it's like, you yeah. can't break into my mind, <laughs> which is like, must be some of the hardest acting you're ever going to be asked to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like bad scanners the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jill takes David out of there. Um, Oh, no, David pushes Mara over, and then Jill and David run out. And then they all go ultra on Alan's brain. We see, like, their alien faces start to appear, like, like when they're concentrating mm-hmm. so hard, like they glow. Yeah, and then from the inside. his mental brick wall starts to crumble. They, say, they see the TNT in the briefcase, but it's too late. The barn blows. And then... Uh, Jill drives David away and says, well, go to a place where no one knows who you are. And that's the end of the village of the damned. Uh, start strong. It ends, it ends with a bang and a whimper. <laughs> yeah, it ends with both a bang and a whimper. Yeah. Great. Well, put. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So here on Killstreak, we like to talk about some of the moments that did not age well. Um, man, I actually can't really think of one for this. There's nothing like problematic. The special effects are all like serviceable. Um, yeah, it handles the th- in a, a, like a pretty th- like a pretty strong abortion theme fairly well. Yeah. Um, yeah. All in all, I kind of agree with you. Like, I mean. I'm going to go ahead and say uh, the thing that aged the worst for me was Kirstie Alley's hair in the town hall scene. Sure, it's yeah. It's really the, weird. A lot of the clothes um, really make you realize that, oh, man, all the clothes fit, uh, fit like shit in the 90s. <laughs> like adults, <laughs> adults clothing. Like, right. like Except uh, for Pat, Pat Oswalt's wife. Um, oh, yeah, no. Um, she, she wears a nice like, pair of pants in the cemetery. Christopher Reeve. Yeah, she does wears like a lot of like pleated kind of baggy chinos that are just like looking yeah, flattering. Yeah. Absolutely. It just makes you oh I, it's a lot of mystery. I wonder what his legs look like <laughs> under all that fabric. <laughs> uh best death. Um I think I have mine. Do you want to go first? Uh sure. Or unless yeah. if you need time I mean, to think about it, I can I can do mine. Yeah, go you go first. Uh I might okay. revise mine. Um I think my favorite death said. is the uh the initial death of the guy who fell on the grill because that's just a really yeah, the grill, it's a man. really creepy yeah. like logical death. It, it, like I said, it reminds right. me of like a Stephen King book. Um, and it's like, it's shocking. It's like, oh yeah, that would happen. You would just like pass out onto your fucking grill and just get torched. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean, in all honesty, that's probably my favorite too. Uh, but uh, just to nominate another, like I said, the Peter Jason miniature car truck explosion is fun. Yeah, it's fun. Um, so yeah, but it's not a movie. It's funny because it's a very high death count, but it's not. It's not a gory movie. No, really. not at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you know, part of the reason why we're doing John Carpenter November is to refine our Carpenter scale and to talk about how scary these movies are. Um, so this one, all right. So this, the, it'll be good going forward to know uh-huh. that um, Village of the Damned is a movie with a solid premise. That eventually is boring and unscary. Yeah, I wasn't scared at yeah, all by this. No, I think that. Well, but here's what I'll say: is like towards the beginning of the movie, I was like, "Ooh, this is eerie. I wonder what's happening." And then retroactively, by learning everything that you learn over the course of the film, it becomes supremely unscary. Yes. Um, so that's how I would like define the scare level of this movie: is it's like. It has the early potential to seem very scary, mm-hmm. and then you realize, no, it's not scary at all. Yeah, good premise, poor execution. Um, mm-hmm. So that'll be good going yeah. forward as we're refining our scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finally here uh, on Kill Street. Where, wait, 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 I'm sorry, but where would you put it? Oh, God, I'm sorry. Scale? I'm so sorry. Um, hold on. Let me yeah. – uh, We I always do this. We let's uh, Let me just take a quick look at his filmography. Okay. Um, I have I mean, a suggestion. What's that? You do? Okay, yeah, go for I, it. I mean, I, I I had one in mind. I was thinking maybe, uh, Village of the Damned. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was circling around that. 
Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, we're going to rate this movie as a village of the damned on the carpenter okay. scale. Sorry, sorry, we almost missed that. Uh, please, please proceed. Oh, sure, yeah, uh, sorry. Um, and finally here, we like to rate our movies on a very simple rubric, Mary Fuck Kill. Is this a movie that we want to marry, take home to mom, revisit, live with, and cherish and enjoy? Fuck, is it a uh, just a nice little fling in the sack, one night stand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, every once in a while, it's fun. But uh, not going to be one I do every night. I don't, sorry, I don't mean, I didn't mean to say <laughs> do. I didn't, that's not what I meant. Uh, and then finally, that's not Kale, what I do. Is this one that yeah. we're never going to revisit again? And uh, mm-hmm. we just want to strike it from our memories. What say yeah. you, Mike? Uh, this is a classic, you know, uh, you, you meet this movie and you're like, oh, okay, I'm interested. I want to see what, what's going on here. And you think there might be some potential. And then about a third of the way through the conversation, you're like, nope, 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 nope. Yep. Sorry, yep. not going to happen. Uh, so it flirted with an early fuck, uh, but then definitely moved into kill territory by the time all was said and done. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's one where you initially have some chemistry with. You're like, oh, this might actually, you know, she's looking at me. We've been talking. This is going fine. And then she ends up. There's mystery, right? There are things you don't know and you want to know. Yeah. And then you either find out that like, oh, no, this person is very boring and uh, we have nothing in common. Or maybe right. they're into some weird like QAnon bullshit. <laughs> You're like not completely no, fucking I'm out, nuts. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we're on the same page here. Yeah, it's, a, it's a kill um, for me. Yeah, and I wanted to add something here. Uh, this is a little bit of a down note, but uh, I don't want anybody to get too upset. But in the week since we reviewed Escape from L.A. Uh, I've I've thought some more about the movie, and I know this is totally off topic, but we've just we finished Village of the Damned. We're talking about our fuck Mary Kill rankings, and although I still enjoyed last week's viewing experience, I would be remiss if I did not announce canonically on the show that I think I need to downgrade my rating from a Mary to a fuck for Escape from. Oh Black. man, you're just gonna go out and change. All of uh, our Wikipedia entries, people are keeping track of this, and you're just going to change your score? I can't live a lie, Eric. I'm sorry. I can respect it, I guess. Um, Yeah, it was a fun movie, but I think it was just that. It was fun. It was fun. It wasn't an all-timer, you know? So, yeah. anyways, that's all. Well, thank you for being honest with us, Mike. I mean, this podcast Mm -hmm. is nothing... If not, uh, it, it, it would be nothing if we weren't honest with each other. Yeah. Okay, guys, that's Village of the Damned. We have one final segment coming up. We're very excited about it. Um, Absolutely. So, hey, we're going to take a little break. Stay tuned. Okay, guys, we're back. And uh, we just want to take a second to uh, clarify, finally, the death count in this movie. Mike, you have breaking news. I do. Uh, Please share it with us. Hot off the YouTube presses. We found a video death count from Village of the Damned. Uh, although they are missing one, uh, as Eric pointed out, mm-hmm. because it happens off screen. So the suicide uh, is not part of this count. But uh, 
They have it as going into the Cops and Army Guys showdown. The movie is at nine in our judgment. It's ten deaths. Then over the course of the showdown between the Highway Patrol, the local police, and the National Guard, we have uh, a total of 76 deaths for the whole movie, plus one. And then in the final explosion, we lose Dr. Chafee and the, nine, and the eight of the nine children, which brings our total death toll for the entire movie to 86, which Jesus. is incredibly high for an almost it's bloodless film, too. Yeah. It's, well, it's it more really akin is. to an action movie, right? We tried to do Escape from L.A. and you just have to give up because so many people just get shot in a half yeah. second scene and, and it's over, you know? So. Yeah. Well, thank you for that clarification. And yeah. I apologize to our listeners that I couldn't keep up with that <laughs> rapid clip. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of us take um, our jobs more seriously take... than others. It's all right. Yeah. yeah, I understand. Well, speaking of taking horror movies seriously, our final segment is an all timer. We're rounding into Halloween time. Uh, and. We have a very special list for you guys. Mm -hmm. In this list, we are going to break down individually our top five Halloween candies. That's right. Now, these are candies that we would love to see in our little plastic pumpkins, uh -huh. our trick-or-treat bags, our, our pillowcases. Yeah. You dump it out on the floor, and you see all this beautiful candy staring back at you. Yeah. What pieces of candy are you going to be the most excited to see, Michael Price? Oh, boy. Okay. This is a tough one. And I'm going to tell you, my list is currently still in flux. So it is going to come into focus as we finish this exercise. Um, okay. But right now, wow. Okay, so I have it narrowed down to seven all-timers. Um, I do also have seven. Okay. And uh, I will go ahead and I'm going to make my two hardest cuts right now. Um so we are going to have to say goodbye to just missed out on the top five. This is going to be a wild one. Uh, and it's also going to mean that I am ultimately locking in on five chocolate-based candies. All the, fruit, yeah. all the fruits are going to be gone for me, um, which is funny because in my, in my normal life, I eat a lot of fruit candy. In fact, I probably get it more often. Uh, mm -hmm. I like gummies. I like... Uh, I like chewy stuff. I don't eat a lot of like hard candies, but I love a Sour Patch Kid. I don't really consider that to be a go-to Halloween candy. Um, no, no. But one of the ones I'm going to cut here is the classic fruit-flavored Tootsie Roll, um, which oh, interesting. I feel like you really only see around Halloween time, but I always... Yeah. I, you know, the Tootsie Rolls tend to fall to the bottom of the bag, you know? Uh, they tend to be smaller and denser than a lot of other candies. And I always, at the end of my haul, I dump out what's left. I throw away all the regular Tootsie Rolls, but I chow down <laughs> on the fruit ones. Yeah, I love You them. throw them away? I don't like a, I don't like a Tootsie Roll. Um, I don't like a Tootsie Roll that much either, but I, I mean, I'll eat a Tootsie Roll. Or I'll gift a, to a Tootsie yeah, Roll. Yeah, I mean, I'll give them away if there's some other hog that wants to eat those things. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so we're cutting the fruity Tootsie Rolls. Uh, and then I'm also going to have to go ahead and lop off. I'm going to say I had peanut M&Ms on here. They come in the little fun size bag. 
They're delicious. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite candies. Do I think of them as being sort of classic Halloween candy? No, not really. That's more of a that's more of a a year long snacker for me. The mm-hmm. peanut M and M. So I'm gonna cut that one as well. Um, okay. But honorable mention to both of those. So let's get into our heavy hitters. This is my number five pick. I am gonna go with the fun size, and obviously you can assume all of these are gonna be fun size. Uh, we're gonna yep. go with a fun size hundred grand bar. Um, oh, good call. You got a milk chocolate coating. You got crackly rice around a caramel center. It's got a great caramel pull if you snap that bad boy in half. Um, also, famously very close to my heart because uh, I like to think of hundred grand bars as the food that made me a fat person. Um, <laughs> Really, <laughs> I was a, I was a I was an average size skinny child until I was probably seven or eight, I think. And then that I want to be clear, I'm not blaming my mother at all. This is not her fault. Uh, but I remember some kid came to our door and was selling candy bars, and she bought a box of 100 grand bars. Uh, and I just remember those those candy bars went into the closet, and then there was just a summer. When I must have had like two 100 grand bars a day for a couple weeks. Um, and then after that, I was chubby. Um, now, I think that's probably, <laughs> it's not so much that the 100 grand bars caused that, as they were more of a symptom of my voracious appetite. But, uh, anyways, those fuckers are delicious. And, yeah, they are uh, delicious. I'm always happy to see one in my bag. That was very long winded, but I'll be much more efficient going forward. Eric. How would you like to start? So uh, I also want to give two honorable mentions. Uh, They were initially higher up on my list. And then as more candies came to mind, they got knocked down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think if nothing else, this is going to reveal me to be have the same candy taste as an old man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But my number seven is I love... See the uh, so my number seven um, is of course going to be a fun size because you you don't see too many full size candy bars. I didn't grow mm. up in a rich neighborhood, <laughs> uh, something of a th- fun size. And I think if I'm being honest here, I prefer the full size, which is about the size of a yardstick. Okay. <laughs> Charleston Chew. Oh, love a Charleston Chew. <laughs> I yeah. love a Charleston Chew that that marshmallowy center. You pop that baby in a freezer. It gets real nice and hard. You can crack it. See, my mom oh, man, does that. I, I can't get into the freezer chew. I like it to be oh, chewy. I, yeah. I like both, but I think I, if I'm being honest here, I prefer freezer chew, which uh, is probably, that cannot be good for your teeth. You're talking, you're going to pull some fillings out with that baby. Yeah, seriously. But it's good. Co- it's I like to think of it like a, a Kong treat for a dog. Like you fill, <laughs> you fill a dog treat with like a rubber thing with like, kibble and some peanut butter and you're working at that thing for a while oh boy all right yeah but yeah charleston chew that's my number seven my number six um and you're right man i don't think i have any other fruit flavors going forward and in my personal life i do love a gummy bear i love a gummy worm oh yeah any sort of like those are my go-to really like in real in like actual everyday life Mm -hmm. um but for my number six I'm going to have to go with candy dots that come in a little uh, 
cardboard box. Sure. They have maybe like three or four inside of them. <laughs> There's yeah, not much yeah. going in there. But they're big and chewy. Not the same consistency as a gummy bear. They're a little more like a gumdrop yeah. without that gross medicinal taste. Right. Or the granulated sugar. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, satisfying chew. Um, so there, I will always be... Is there a licorice dot? Is that part of the mix? Is there a licorice dot? Yes, yeah. I believe there is. Okay, so that I mean that I all, so. automatically you lose points with me. But now I'm googling it. And I'm not seeing licorice, so you might be in the clear. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. I don't know why I'm thinking. Maybe there's another similar kind. Yeah. Oh, you know what? There's crows. Okay. They're called crows, I believe, mm-hmm. which is problematic now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And a traditional gumdrop mix would would usually have a black licorice too. I think. Um, let me look. I I really want to make sure that I am not. Yeah, they're called crows. They're okay. basically licorice dots. Yeah, man, that is a bad title. Because mm-hmm. this makes me think of Jim Crow. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> those two honorable mention, but uh-huh. my number five. Yeah, it's the real fully one. in old man territory. Here is a are whoppers, whoppers. malted milk balls. Okay. Yeah, I love that malted milk ball taste. I like to suck the the chocolate shell off of them and then let that malt dissolve on yeah, my tongue. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, um, yeah, that's definitely old man candy, but I do love malt. Uh, and I've reached a place in my life where on the rare occasion that I'm getting a milkshake, I'm getting a malt every time. Oh, yeah. Give me Hell that yeah. malt powder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so malted milk balls, Whoppers more specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking of the ones in the like M&M packet, like the uh, paper, the wax paper, not like because they also come in boxes, but I prefer the ones in like the uh, paper packets. Sure. You get a little more milk, malt ball for your buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congratulations, I Whoppers. You're number five. <laughs> I dig that. I, I'm into that pick. And I like that you have your weird old man picks because I feel like as I narrowed mine down, I, I just by virtue of what I like the most. I got a little mainstream, I think, but we'll see. Hmm. Um, my number four is a candy uh, that to me is like a quintessential Halloween candy because I'm always happy to see it uh, on October 31st, on November 1st, but like, God help me, I don't think I've ever purchased one in my life. Uh, and that is the little mini Mr. Good Bar. Um, oh, sure. I... As I do not like Hershey's chocolate. Let me go on record. Uh, I think mm-hmm. a Hershey's bar is a waste of, uh, of an indulgent treat. Uh, if I'm going to have that kind of sugary uh, thing, like Hershey's milk chocolate. I mean, all you have to do is ask a European person who has grown up with real chocolate as they're like, oh, yes. I'm going to have a chocolate bar. Uh, like it's like fucking it's like shit to them. It's like the same as like drinking a, a Budweiser, like a Bud Light where it's just or like, like Wonder Bread. Yeah, it's such a horrible facsimile of actual chocolate. But you sprinkle some peanuts in there and fuck it, man. Yeah. I'm on board. I like it. Yeah, um, I'll, I'm a big fan of a crackle, too. But I think Mr. Goodbar is definitely superior. Um but yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Those little foil, it's like the foil wrapping with the paper around the middle, the classic oh, yeah. Hershey's miniatures, one of the most old school 
uh, Halloween candies there is. And yeah, for me, uh, the only problem with the little Mr. Good bar is, you know, you know, I'm going to eat like six of them. So. Yeah, <laughs> I don't you don't really see full size Mr. Good bars, do you? Not I mean, much. I guess they probably exist. They but I just... do exist, but they are not. Uh, I mean, I'm also never looking for them though either. So maybe after this, yeah. after this conversation, we'll keep our eyes open. Maybe I'll purchase my first ever Mister Good Bar. Um, I I think uh, if if gun to my head, if I'm going to pick between a Mister Good Bar and a Crackle, I think I'm mm. going to go with a Crackle. Okay. But I do respect a Mister Good Bar. Okay. All right. So my number four. Uh, and this is one that I probably prefer more in the fun sized mm-hmm. than I do a full size because I think the full size can be a little overpowering and overly mm-hmm. sweet. But I'm going to go with Bart Simpson's favorite, Butterfingers. Oh, yeah. Although I have to say the new Butterfinger uh-huh. recipe, not as good as the old one. Ha! Uh, I like it more. Did... Oh, really? See, yeah. I like the original Butterfinger and uh, you're going to sense a theme here because I like to suck all the chocolate off. <laughs> <laughs> then I like to, then I like to in- <laughs> slowly eat the uh, the inside of the Butterfinger <laughs> as the, like, the layers of shale that yeah. are the inner Butterfinger. Oh, I feel like you're like, you remember, break you're, off. You're like uh, Nicolas Cage, right? And face off. I could, I could eat a peach, peach for on. hours. <laughs> yeah, that's you. That's you with the candy bar, you sicko. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, that's a good take, though. I especially agree with the mini versus full size. The idea of, of chowing down on a full size Butterfinger is a little overwhelming, but that little bit yeah. uh, is nice. But yeah, I tried the new the new blend, and I actually am quite a fan. I think it moves it a little bit closer to a real peanut butter flavor versus the mm. weird like because they say Butterfinger is a peanut butter like bar, but it's like it doesn't taste like peanut butter. It tastes like its it own thing. It doesn't taste like yeah. peanut butter. It's yeah. like toffee with faint peanut butter right flavoring yeah um okay my number three is and maybe i'm speaking uh too quickly for the rest of our audience but to me this feels like this is like the lakers like the los angeles lakers franchise of halloween candy and i imagine if i was playing family feud and i had to guess what's the number one halloween candy kids want to see i'm guessing this is it i could be wrong for me it's great. It's one of the best ever, but it's only number three on my list. That is a mini Snickers bar. Um, sure. Now, there's a couple different sizes here, and I think this is important, and this is going to come up again with my number one. But there is, I believe there's like a Snickers fun size, and there's Snickers yep. mini. Yep. And I'm talking about Snickers fun size. It is still a rectangle. It's a small rectangle. Snickers Mini is like a little cube. And the Snickers Mini... It's like a postage stamp of the Snickers. And it's just not enough. You don't get... Like, you can have one of those and not even get a quarter of a peanut in it, you know? It gets Mm -hmm. too close to a Milky Way bar, which is... No, that's a thumbs down for me. I want peanuts, goddammit. I do like a dark dark chocolate Milky Way bar. Those are pretty good. If we're going to go Milky Way. Yeah, the Milky Way... Is that special dark? Is that what it is? Or Midnight? Is that what it is? Milky Way Midnight? I forget. Might be that. But either way, give me a Snickers fun size bar. Uh, it is hilarious that Snickers successfully has pulled off this campaign of basically convincing people that it's the closest thing to like an energy bar in the full on candy bar world. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, hey, are you hungry? 
It's not just a snack. It's not just a treat that no one should eat more than once a week. It's like, hey, you missed lunch? Have a Snickers bar. Have a <laughs> Snickers. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that what? It's very ballsy. It's super ballsy, but it kind of works because you get that peanut in there and it just feels uh, hearty in a way that a lot of candy bars don't. Uh, and I love it. I really do. I respect the shit out of a Snickers. And I think that mini Snickers might be that's like the most when you think Halloween candy in your head, what's in that bag? I know that's the first thing that comes to a lot of people's minds. So you're mini Snickers or mini, the, Snick, mini, mini Snickers, or fun, size? fun size, not mini fun size. Fun size. Snickers. Gotcha. Yeah. OK, so my number three pick uh, this is probably going to be my most controversial pick out of Ooh. the whole list. I'm foreseeing uh, kill streakers banding together like the <laughs> villagers in Village of the Damned and coming at my house with torches. Because my number three, I could have put it higher, maybe even. I'm talking ghost peeps. <laughs> what? <laughs> I fucking love peeps i'm a big peep head over here and i think the ghost variation is very fun that little the like black ink that they write the faces on i like to tear that off this is madness crunch it between my my teeth i like to specifically let a peep go stale i'll let a peep sit overnight so it gets hard (laughs) (laughs) like a nice crust with that granulated sugar i love me some peeps. Uh, I'm not gonna suck. I'm not gonna suck the granulated sugar off. No, I'm not gonna do that. Okay. No, I will right. bite the head off. I start on the head, and then I make my way down the rest of the body. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is also controversial because I don't know that I've ever seen a ghost peep inside of a, a trick or treating bag. They don't. They really sell those in mm-hmm. like four packs. Yeah. But you know, listen, we're talking Halloween candy. I could. I could imagine. At some point in my life, I got a peep in my in my trick or treating bag, so I'm going to bend the rules a little bit. Okay, because my love for the peep is so strong. All right, well, you've really blown this thing wide open now. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, lucky for you, listeners, I am here to get things back on track with some <laughs> with some real down the middle heaters uh, to close out my top two. Um, my number two. Is I'm not going to say it's a controversial pick, but, uh, you know, sandwiched in between my number one and number three, which are like straight up Mount Rushmore all timer Halloween candies. My number two maybe falls into the B category. Maybe for you, it is an it, it is an A category. Maybe it's S tier. Maybe we're going doing it the Japanese way. <laughs> whatever, whatever you're into. My number two is a fun size Twix bar. Um, oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, I As you may have sensed a theme here between Twix, Snickers, 100 Grand, I do really like the formula of a milk chocolate, a caramel, and then, a, and then some sort of crunchy element, be it a mm-hmm. peanut, be it a, a crispy rice, or in this case, give me a little cookie. Um, but I love a Twix bar. Um, I don't often purchase a real Twix. If I'm getting a Twix at the gas station... I'm usually going peanut butter because uh, I'm sure. also I'm also I'm a real peanut butter chocolate head, um, yep. but that classic Twix it does the job and it's a great caramel. Again, it's like a similar to the hundred grand. It's got that real nice stretchy texture. It's not super chewy, um, 
And yeah, like I don't know that I've ever had the cookie that's in a Twix bar out in the wild as just a cookie, but it works really well in this application. Yeah. Uh, This will shock you. Mm -hmm. Do you know how I like to eat a Twix bar? It's like to suck. Like a fucking pervert. (laughs) (laughs) And leaving only the cookie and the caramel. Then I I tear the caramel away from the cookie. And then, and then the you d- do you dissolve the cookie in your mouth? <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, what do you think of the um, cookies and cream Twix? I think it's tasty. Uh, it is missing the textural component of the caramel for me. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, again, I, I think it's, it's, it's different to with peanut butter, with. too. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. You're mm-hmm. gonna say. Oh, it's good to mix it up with the cookies and cream one every mm-hmm. once in a while. But when I'm thinking Twix, I'm thinking that traditional yeah. caramel yeah for sure can't go wrong when it comes to halloween uh, I'm a so number two number two um uh, for me it's already been said so i'm not going to spend too much time on it it's a it's a fun size snickers yeah i think like this is just like if we're being honest here like that's just a fucking great candy bar mm-hmm. a snickers is a great candy bar yeah, uh, and the fun size I think is the perfect size for them. Mm-hmm. I, for all the reasons we said, the the mini is too small, not satisfying enough. The fun size, perfect. I mean, give me a full size, sure, sure. But if he, if I eat a full size Snickers, mm-hmm. I'm not going to want to eat other candy. Yeah, yeah. Behind it, and it's get the fuck out, and get out of here with the king size. That thing is overwhelming. Oh no, yeah. no, no. I I'm lucky that like I don't have too much of a sweet tooth. I do enjoy candy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am perfectly happy with a small bit of sweet, not eating a whole, like I can eat a bite of cake and be just as satisfied as eating a full size slice of cake or something. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, so, yeah. so I'll always enjoy the smaller of the candies. Uh, okay. So now we have number one picks. All right. I wonder if um, we're going to say the same thing. I, I mean, if you think there's a chance then I think we are, cause I mean, for me, this was like I tried to I was like, do I like do I have something that's like a little more like a, a mic price special that I'm going to put up here? That's like my little thing. But that's kind of my Mr. Good bar, my hundred grand. They're like a little more mm-hmm. unique to me, maybe. But this there's just there's something undeniable about my number one. It's one of the great candies of 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 the world any time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um and as we discussed with the Snickers bar, size matters uh, <laughs> here more so than anything else, because my number one candy is a Reese's peanut butter cup. Hell yeah. Not a Reese's miniature cup, to be clear. Yes. The ratio of chocolate to peanut butter is off. There is too much chocolate in a miniature cup. We are talking a single Reese's, either snack size or regular. They're very close. A snack size is, is 0.1 ounces smaller. It is something, okay. they're the ones that are packaged individually. Um, and they're, I think, the ones most commonly found at Halloween. They are just the tiniest bit smaller than the regular two-pack Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, which I am also very happy to eat. Um Sure. There's uh, a couple seasonals, ghosts with white chocolate. I think they're tasty, but I want milk chocolate over white chocolate when I'm talking a Reese's peanut butter cup. Uh, and then they also do a pumpkin, which is very, very similar in chocolate to peanut butter ratio to the regular mm-hmm. peanut butter cup. So I'm happy to eat those as well. Um, but yeah, man, Reese's peanut butter cups are just, they're fucking all stars for a reason. 
Um, well, let me join this conversation and say that my number one pick mm-hmm. is also a variant of the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, but it is specifically the Peanut Butter Pumpkins. Ooh, okay. Talk to me more uh, about your and pumpkins. I, and I think, so I will, uh, the Peanut Butter Cup is my favorite candy. Mm-hmm. That let, that is goes without saying. So when I was thinking about this Halloween, it was between the regular full-size Peanut Butter Cup, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the minis. I'll I mean, fuck it. I'll eat a mini, of course. But uh, yeah, I, I want have the, to. Like, yeah. the disc, right. the flat disc of a peanut butter cup. I even remember the giant peanut butter cups. You remember those? Uh, well, there's they're like big they're a little cups. bit too much. Yeah, the big cups are very Maybe I'm big. Of big cups. But there's also world's largest, which is like a half pound. Uh, but that's oh, a Jesus Reese's Christ. brand. Yeah. Uh, that's the one you wow. get for like Valentine's Day, where it's like I love you this much and <laughs> what, peanut butter. Uh, but what? the peanut butter pumpkin, I because I know with peanut butter cups, mm-hmm. there's a lot of controversy. A lot of a lot of people, they're thinking very hard about the ratio of peanut butter to chocolate. Mm-hmm. The peanut butter pumpkin does have more peanut butter than the standard peanut butter cup, yeah. but I think for a treat on Halloween, that little extra bit of peanut butter is works for me mm-hmm. um but you know gun to my head this isn't a list of favorite candies this is favorite halloween candies i will prefer a normal size but on halloween i'll fucking kick it up a notch and i'll eat that peanut butter pumpkin happily it's my treasured it's the treasured uh part of my candy haul mm-hmm. reese's peanut butter pumpkin i love you wow i think i might have to go out and do a little side by side this week uh um, sure Oh yeah. Just do a little pumpkin versus standard cup and see see what I think. Cuz well, Yeah, we could we could even re- I could do the same. We can revisit this okay. uh and we can talk specifically about we can revisit on the next episode our verdicts on peanut butter pumpkins versus peanut butter cups. All right. All right. Well, I say let's it's a deal. Let's let's go out and get some peanut butter cups. Twisted my arm, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> so that that is it. That wraps up our top 5. Trick or treat, Halloween candies. Um, you know what? You, you agree? You disagree? You got some other picks you want to throw out there? Let us know. Hit us up, Eric. Where can they find us? You can find us on Twitter at KillstreakPod. Uh, you can write to our email at KillstreakPod at gmail dot com. No, not at Killstreak. You got it. KillstreakPod at gmail dot com. Um, visit us on our anchor site and leave a voicemail sure. if you so choose. Yeah. Uh, Anchor.fm slash killstreakpod. It's all killstreakpod. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we have an Instagram that we should be more active on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. We'll and we check yeah. that out. Also at killstreakpod. We're pretty easy to find if you're being honest. Uh, there's not another mm-hmm. killstreak podcast. That's what part of why we named it this. Um, but uh, yeah, really let us know. Let us know what uh, what you like to find in your in your bag, and if you have any other ideas for segments you'd like to hear us do, questions we can answer for you, suggestions for future series to cover, really anything you want to talk to us about, we're here. We're we're ready to take your call. And like Fraser said, I'm listening. Um, oh, so coming up Thursday, yeah. stay tuned for another one of our October live commentary episodes. Yeah. We are watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space with Mookie Blakelock. Oh, yeah. Uh, who you might know. He's a comedian. Uh, he's He was on Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. 
and uh, Wet Hot American Summer first day of camp. Yep. And uh, you can find him on Twitter at, at Lil Mookie B. Yeah, podcast fans will know him from Comedy Bang Bang, uh, Improv for Humans. He's all over the place. He's hilarious. We have a great time. Check it out. Watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space with us. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then next week, we will be wrapping up Carp- John Carpentober uh, a week from today, next Monday, with The Ward, the most recent feature film by John Carpenter, which at this point is now 11 years old, I think. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it so. is. It's like 2010. Yeah, so. Yeah. 10 years old. Yeah. Around there. Yeah, so. Uh, it's another one we've never seen. I'm excited uh-huh. to see it. Um, I've definitely like put it on my queue a few times and just never got around to it. So finally have an excuse to check it out. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. Hey, anything else you want to, you want to plug before we wrap this baby up? Uh, rate us and review us on Apple podcasts, please. Let's uh, help the, get this podcast out to more people. Um, so we can keep doing it. Uh, and who knows? Like, just imagine if you guys really like coalesced into like a kill streak street team, you know, and really started pushing mm. us out there. Eric and I start making a little bank. We could quit our jobs. We could become full time podcasters. <laughs> uh, we'd be at least twenty percent more invested in putting this out. Uh, Eric would probably fully count all the bodies. I might actually take notes for a whole movie. Um, these are all the things that yeah, you guys on, could look forward. This is crazy to. talk. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, do what you can to let people know about the podcast. Now is the time. There is a week left in October, a week before Halloween. Get it out there. Let people know. And uh, let's see if we can build up our audience. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Also, on Twitter, uh, if you haven't noticed, I've been keeping track of all of the Halloween movies we've been watching. So sure. yeah. you can follow along there. Um, chime in. And as always, there's a lot of pregnancies. I mean, a lot. Much more than would be normally expected. Classic line from Village of the Damned. <laughs>